Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Today, today is April 7th, and today we're going to be talking in our continuing series on a corrupt discourse. This will be part three in that series, and our scripture reference will be Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. As usual, we'll have other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the comments section. But today, with Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5 as our primary backdrop, let's just dig right in. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Fools and folly. Fools and folly, and that sounds like a conundrum. Don't answer him according to his folly. Do answer him according to his folly. Don't answer him according to his folly, meaning don't get down on his level. But answer him according to his folly, meaning show how foolish he is being by your response to what he is saying or doing. Mm. We want to look at the uh, CE today, current event, the corruption of conversation, and especially the Christian expectation uh, can snappy repartee be used when dealing with hostile interrogators? And the answer is yes. And we have examples from Old Testament and New Testament. And from Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> Ronald Reagan as well, yes. Yeah. And uh, other well-known people. Yeah. Um, why is this important? Because eventually a cancel culture will come for Christians. Mm. And so before that happens, we need to be prepared that we can give these kinds of snappy repartee responses. And so... We're going to look at some examples from the Old Testament that deal with the um, ways of mocking that seem to be fine in the Old Testament, sarcasm in the New Testament with Jesus on ironic humor, bitter put down, and things of that sort. Then we're going to concentrate on John 9. I like sarcasm. Uh, sarcasm can, <laughs> can work, absolutely. So with that in mind, we're going to start with... Um, Elijah as an example from 1 Kings 18. Randy will be reading some selected verses 16 through 19 and 27. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal, and the two hundred prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So this is the uh, setup. Elijah is going to have a standoff um, between himself and the gods Baal and the four hundred and fifty false prophets. High noon showdown. High noon showdown, and what the test will be is the following. They're going to have a sacrifice prepared, and the God that answers by fire and consumes the sacrifice, he will be God. Elijah tells this to the people, and they all say basically, well, we're, we're in agreement with that. Yes, amen, okay. And so it begins, and he allows the prophets of Baal to go first. And uh, they, for hours, from early morning till noon, they scream, they dance, they cut themselves up, they yell, and nothing happens. They collapse exhausted. They collapse exhausted. <laughs> and then in verse 27, we pick it back up with Elijah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I like bathroom humor too, and there's a little bit of that in here. So yeah. yeah. Verse 27 says, And at noon, 
Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Yes, uh, other translations say relieving himself. The actual Hebrew is to uh, to step aside, but apparently it was also a euphemism for going to the restroom. Mm. And this would fit with the gods because they are all too human, the gods of uh, the prophets here, the false prophets. And the uh, the great God of Israel, of course, is self-existent. He has no need of those things. He's spirit. So Elijah mocks the prophets mm. and does a really good job of it. And then when God answers by fire, it makes it all the more exciting and uh, vindication of the God who is, is in fact God. Another example, using sarcasm, is the prophet Micaiah. And we're going to look at 2 Chronicles 18, 7 through 8, 12 through 17, and then 25 through 27, with his use of sarcasm. 2 Chronicles 18, 7 and 8 says, And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Ammiah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Ammiah. Right. Here's the thing. Ahab wants to go to war. Uh, Jehoshaphat has come and said, You know, my army is your army, my people, your people, we'll, we'll join you in this war. Uh, can we win it? And then Ahab has all his false prophets there, and they ask a question, can we, should we go up against Ramoth Gilead? And they all say, yes, 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 it's going to be a tremendous, wonderful victory. Jehoshaphat has his doubts. And so he says, isn't there somebody here who's truly a prophet of the Lord? And turns out to be our guy, Micaiah. And so he is sought for. And that takes us to the next section in Second Chronicles 18. Verses 12 through 17 says, And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And he answered, Go up and triumph. They will be given into your hand. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jeho Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? <laughs> Right. Um, he fished for a bad answer. Yeah. <laughs> K.A. comes out and then sarcasm. Oh, sure. Uh, it's approved. Yeah, fine. Go go do the battle. You're going to win. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a gimme. No problem. And Ahab recognizes that immediately, that he's being mocked, that Micaiah is using sarcasm. And so then Micaiah gives the answer that the Lord has given him. It's going to be a terrible defeat for, for Israel. And then we have the final conclusion to this in verses 25 through 27. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with meager rations of bread and water until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. 
And he said, Hear all you peoples. Okay, so he ends on a positive note. He has spoken the truth. He's using some uh, mocking, some sarcasm, but he has spoken the truth, and it needs to be heard. And sometimes being or using that aspect of mocking and being sarcastic can get people to alert to things that they were not paying attention to before. It seems it might be used a bit more inappropriately in today's <laughs> engagements, though, on social media and other places. That is true. That is true. <laughs> it's not something to be indulged in on a regular basis. Yeah. It has its uses, though, as we shall see here. Now we go to the New Testament and take a look at just a short little response of Jesus in Matthew 23, verses 23 through 24. It's a well-known passage. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And amen. And that part of that last section there with uh, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel, the uh, law said you cannot drink something that has a dead thing floating in it. They went so far out as to bring it down to even the size of a mosquito. But the, in that culture, the last thing you could see is your naked eye. And make sure they didn't get mosquitoes, they put gauze over what they drank, you know, to strain it out. Interesting. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't have a mosquito. And Jesus says, you try to get rid of unclean things, and then you swallow an unclean thing, which a camel was, as big as a camel. Yeah. So it is, it's ironic humor. Yeah. And uh, they are... Uh, defiled and the rest of that passage there in Matthew 23 Jesus then hooks up on that and continues to talk about how they're defiled and why they're defiled because in fact they have swallowed a camel and then we have uh, a biting put down to a king from Jesus in Luke 13 verses 31 through 33 at that very hour some Pharisees came and said to him get away from here for Herod wants to kill you and he said to them go and tell that fox Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Pharisees, and we'll take them at their word because Jesus does, whatever their motive may be, uh, Herod's going to kill you. It's, it's going to be done. And Jesus' reply basically is to say, no matter what he attempts, he cannot stop me. I will accomplish my mission. But what he does is say, go and tell that fox. And what modern translations don't show up is that that's in the feminine case. Uh, apparently, it's always that way, at least with the Greeks. Uh, so it's a vixen. And some commentators have pointed out that's a slam against Herod because he was so influenced by Herodias mm. and one who decapitated John the Baptist. So it's a real put-down of, of uh, contempt by Jesus saying, you're, you cannot stop me, you who don't have a will or a backbone of your own and influenced by an ungodly woman. So he calls Herod a vixen. Hmm. Well, that's just some sampling. There's a lot more in both Testaments. We're going to now just spend the rest of the podcast and take a look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is about the cancel culture of the day, and we know that Jesus eventually got canceled. That's pretty clear with Easter just now behind us with the cross. But, of course, he could not be effectively canceled because of resurrection. But in John chapter 9, we have a man who is healed by Jesus. He's been blind since birth. Obviously, he's illiterate. 
whatever education he's gotten is because he's paid attention and listened. And he speaks in spirit and truth to the superiors, so-called, of his day who want to shut him up and cancel him. And they do in a way, as we shall see. But what is so great about this conversation is it starts off as a conversation and he's basically trying to say, well, th th this is what happened. And they won't let it go. Well, what happened? And he will tell them again and again, well, what happened? And finally, he gets the point of what's going on. <laughs> so let's take a look in just a moment. Uh, so we'll start at John 13 through 17. Let me summarize the first 12 verses. They see a blind man. The disciples say, who sinned? This man or his parents? And he's born blind. Jesus ignores that particular theological problem and simply says he's born this way because the glory of God's going to be displayed in him. And man, is it ever displayed in him? So he tells him, go to the pool of Siloam, wash off the mud I put on your eyes. He does. He comes back. He can see. People witness this. They're amazed. Some say, are you the man? He says, yes, I'm the man. I'm the one. Well, how do you see? Well, this man, Jesus, he put stuff on my eyes and told me to go wash. And now, now I see. Well, the people are upset by this because they are intimidated by the cancel culture. Mm. They say, we got to take them to the real superiors because, you see, this was done on the Sabbath. And they have laws. You cannot do something like that on the Sabbath. It's considered work. And so we come to the part of the conversation where he engages with the Pharisees. John chapter 9, verses 13 through 17. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for who does not keep the Sabbath? But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. So already he's getting some insight based on the conversation that Jesus is more than just a man. He is, in fact, at least uh, a prophet. And this is the intimidation or the bullying, if you want to call it, that begins here with the Pharisees. Twice they ask this question, even though it's a minority report. The minority report is there were some who disagreed. said, how can, how can this Jesus be a sinner if, he, if he's done something like this? But the people who are really in charge, apparently, they just run over that. Mm. The minority part is uh, canceled. And so they come back and say, give us, give us the answer. And he says, well, verse 15, he mentions it again. Uh, and he said to them, he put mud in my eyes, and I washed and I see. That's a fact. And so then they ask him again, verse 17, what do you say about him? And he's already made his point three, three times now, since he's opened your eyes. And he said, well, he's a prophet. So it's like, okay, you want an answer? I think I'll give you one. I, I, he's a prophet. All right. Now they're not going to accept that, of course. They're going to call in other witnesses who we'll, we'll see are intimidated themselves because that's what cancel culture does. They call in so-called witnesses, but the witnesses previously have already been intimidated not to tell the truth. We'll see why. And that's verses 18 through 22. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, 
he is of age, ask him. All right, so here's a man who for the first time in his life <laughs> sees the faces of his own parents, and yet they cannot bring themselves to testify. You know, well, he, he's our son, but uh, we're, we can't answer that question. We, we, they, they, they roll over the responsibility back on their son. And uh, he's of age, ask him. So why do they do this? Because the Pharisees had set up this policy, if anybody confesses Jesus in some messianic sense, you're out of the synagogue, which in that culture was your place of spiritual support, often physical support. It was your community in which you got your needs met and taken mm -hmm. care of. And to be put out of the synagogue is like being exiled to an island. You know? So the intimidation of the Pharisees is already active in other people's lives. And here again, you see the problem of conformity. There's two kinds of conformity, conforming to the image of God in Christ and conforming to the world. And what we're called to is to conform to Jesus and follow the truth, even in the face of hostile interrogation and a cancel culture. Um, Martin Luther King has a great quote. He says, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Mm -hmm. How much more so if it's your own family? So it's painful. It's painful. And Jesus had prophesied this coming a time that uh, even parents will deny children, children will turn in parents, and all of those kinds of things. And so this is ramping up now, um, the cancel culture, and they're going to come back on them with another session, verses 24 through 27. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he's a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to them, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> okay. So we're back to the facts again. You know, and another time they, they bring him back, you know, you got to give glory to God, which means, you know, repent of what you've said already and acknowledge that um, this man's a sinner. Well, he says, okay, uh, maybe I don't have enough theological knowledge, but I, uh, you want facts? I'll go back to the facts. Deal with this. I was blind and now I see. Well, of course, they can't let that go. So they say, how did he do it? How did he do it? And he says, I've already told you. <laughs> Why aren't you listening? Well, cancel culture doesn't listen. And then now he begins to get into the sarcasm aspect of it. When he says, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? The man is gaining, as we will see, more and more courage as he goes along because he's more and more perceiving that Jesus is indeed not just a man, not, certainly not a sinner, and a prophet, probably more than a prophet. And so the conversation continues with the cancel culture asserting their superiority in verses 28 through 29. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. They assert that they are disciples of Moses. And like the woman at the well in the last podcast who inadvertently was trying to state what she thought would be the truth, I don't have a husband, and Jesus called her and said, Well, you're right, you don't. Mm -hmm. You've had you know, five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. Here they make one of those inadvertent lapses in conversation, which is being fueled by spirit and truth. As for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Okay, that rings a bell. That rings a bell. They're saying we are superior, and yet 
here they are making a statement. We don't know anything about this Jesus. And the man seizes on this, and verses 30 to 33 are the heart and the, the climax of this, as the, um, I guess it's a French phrase, peace on de resistance. This is what this is. And what we want to see is the courage of an illiterate and how the increasing perception of the truth increases his courage as well as his sarcasm. Okay. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. All right. Perception brings courage. Courage brings more perception. It's a, it, They feed on each other. He's seeing much more than the physical world now, he, too. Exactly. And this yeah. is the point of the whole story of the man born blind. His real vision is spiritual. His perception mm -hmm. of what's going on here, mm -hmm. especially as applies to Jesus. Basically, he says back to them, you don't know who he is? Amazing. Your superiority is useless. You're the ones who claim to know everything, and yet you cannot possibly answer why this man does something that has not been heard of since the beginning of time, healing a man born blind. How is it that you don't know anything about this if you're so uh, omniscient and all of your great knowledge? And he uses a classical uh, syllogism against them, the major premise, those who worship God and do his will are heard. The Pharisees believe that. He believes that. Minor premise. Look what Jesus did. Indicating, of course, he obviously worships God and he's been heard. Mm -hmm. All right. What's the conclusion? He's from God. He's from God. And in John's gospel, this is key because uh, over a dozen times, Jesus makes the point, I have come from God. I'm sent by the Father. I was sent by him. Time and time again, like in John 6, 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Hmm. And those who worship God and do his will are heard. Obviously, everybody knows Jesus does miracles. So this is the great miracle here in this section of the Gospel of John. He's from God. And of course, John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, unique son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so this is a man who is a nonconformist. He is obviously rebelling and putting down the superior people of his day who have the authority to cancel him. At this point, he doesn't care. He is in glory. Mm -hmm. Remember what Jesus says at the beginning of this whole thing is that uh, the works of God might be displayed in him, the glory of God. So here he is caught up in this now. He sees the truth. He understands Jesus is sent from God, and he's more than just some regular prophet. This is amazing. He's a nonconformist. So again, in Romans uh, chapter 12, Paul says, Do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, meaning you first perceive the truth. And then you'll be able to test what is the perfect good will of God, mm -hmm. and therefore do it. So and he gets that here in sequential order right here in this passage. Exactly. Yeah. So the result of this, of course, is John 9:34: cancel culture cancels. <laughs> <laughs> and they answered him, You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Canceled. Canceled. Yes. Canceled. Canceled. Um, we want to end this with just a uh, one more quote. Uh, this comes from a man named Polycarp who was uh, martyred in 155 uh, A.D., approximately there, 2nd century. 
Uh, he was uh, one of the last remaining people who knew the apostles. He was uh, mentored by the apostle John, and that's testified to by the ancient church writers, Tertullian, Irenaeus, Eusebius, and others. He even wrote a letter to the Philippians, some of which has been preserved down over the uh, last 2,000 years. And he is brought before the uh, proconsul in Smyrna, which is in the book of Revelation. And oddly enough, in Smyrna, in the book of Revelation, it's a place that persecutes Christians, and the Jewish community is against them. And so he's hailed for worshiping God and not taking incense and saying Caesar is Lord as he puts the incense on the altar and the incense rises up. He won't do that. So they bring him. And by the way, this is online, the uh, martyrdom of Polycarp. It's a great story. So he is brought then by the authorities into the stadium there at Smyrna. And there's some archaeological remains that I think. that They had a theater there that seated 20,000. This obviously seats at least thousands of some kind. And so he comes in to uh, the arena, to the stadium. And... Uh, the proconsul tries to persuade him to deny the faith. And he says to Polycarp, have regard for your age. And then the article goes on. It was written by someone obviously there who was an eyewitness. So they did some other things, telling him he's, he's got to do this, got to do that. And finally the proconsul says, swear by the genius of Caesar, change your mind and say away with atheists. And then Polycarp, with solemn countenance, gazed on the whole crowd of lawless pagans in the stadium, waved his hand at them, groaned and looked up to heaven and said, away with the atheists. Now, to a lot of us, you say, well, what, what does that mean? Well, Christians were called atheists by this period of history. Because why? They only worshipped one God. Mm. They only worshipped one God. They were accused of other things too, but that's a big one. But what Polycarp does, he says, okay. He looks up to heaven and, and then waves his hand toward the stadium where all the people of Smyrna who were against him had gathered and said away with the atheists because from the Christian perspective, they don't believe in the true God, so they don't have a belief in God. So mm. they are atheists. Of course, he was burnt uh, and sacrificed himself. So that's another example of someone who met the cancel culture outside the Bible and got canceled like so many of the early martyrs did. But um, what happens here is... John 9, 35 through 38, uh, he goes outside the synagogue. Jesus finds him. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, who is he that I may you know, worship and believe in him? And Jesus says, I am the one. And he worshiped him. He knelt down and worshiped him. So he's out of the synagogue, but he's found a new place to be, a new community which will watch with him and take care of him. And he stood up in his own fashion, a man who was born blind, illiterate, and no rhetorical skills, bested the people. And how do we know he bested them? Because they couldn't answer him, so they so threw they him out. Him out. <laughs> and there you have some examples of how Christians can converse with an hostile interrogators. Well, Jim, you've given us a lot to think about, and I'm sure that there are questions or comments about it. And we'd love to hear those questions and comments from you. So, please send your questions and comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, and the word expectations at gmail.com. We'll use your question or comment where possible, and we'll always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations, and until the next time, keep looking up.